Some tales are told, then soon forgotten. But a legend is forever. Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Now, from the producers of A Nightmare on Elm Street, the real terror begins November 3rd. Hey everyone, and welcome to The Pod and the Pendulum, the show devoted to covering horror movie franchises, one movie in one episode at a time. As always, I'm your host, Mike Snoonian. So this week, we are continuing our road trip through Texas, for one of the more messed up family reunions we're going to do on the show, we are back for 1990s slasher Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. As always, I'm not on this trip alone. I need a co-pilot riding shotgun to help turn that radio dial when there's too too much talk on the news about charnel pits filled with dead bodies by the side of the road. <laughs> Welcome back, Jessica Scott. Jessica, how are we this morning? I am good. How are you? I'm okay. I am literally feels like I am in Southern Texas right now. It is so hot (laughs) in Massachusetts. I am not built for this heat. I feel very bad because like I like to take my dog out for her walk every day and we've missed a bunch this week. I took her yesterday. We got up super early and it was already in the eighties. And by the last leg of the lock, she was like, come on, man, what are you doing to me? (laughs) You know, it was just not good right now grass needs to be cut and i'm like nope fuck that noise it's just not good you may have to be the guy who gets up at like five in the morning to cut his lawn i think someone would murder me i honestly (laughs) think in this neighborhood so and and they would be right to do so so yeah it may be one of those very early tuesday morning 8 a.m just got it out type of thing we also have a very special guest today he is the host of the Dead Letter Movie Podcast. Please welcome Andrew Fabry to the show. Hi, thanks for bringing me on. How are you, man? I'm very glad to speak. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. The uh, It hasn't gotten as hot here yet as it has for the rest of the country. So the, the, the Pacific Northwest is currently avoiding it, but it's going to hit us, I think, next week. So yeah, it's good luck. You know, hopefully you'll get some of that Seattle rain. Hopefully. You know, hopefully. We'll find out. 
Um, and Andrew, we had a really fun time talking with you in my other show, Psychoanalysis, about a pair of David uh, David Lynch horror movies, Mulholland Drive and Blue Velvet. And we had to, I had to bring you on this show for something that really measures up in terms of like artistic integrity. Absolutely. In terms of you know importance and genre, in terms of having a real auteurist vision, I mm. know uh, we're really happy to have you on today. So <laughs> glad to be here. <laughs> and I think it's a very fun movie to talk about. So I think it's always fun talking about these. But before we like dive into the movie proper, what is what are everyone's initial thoughts on the film, Jessica? Like, what are your? Because when we were kind of sending out the schedule to our regular crew, you were like, I want. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Like, you were the first one to be like, put me on this one. Mm-hmm. So, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I saw this for the first time earlier this year when I did a franchise binge mm-hmm. getting ready for the new Netflix movie. Um, I had only mm-hmm. ever seen the original and then the Jessica Beale remake. So, I started from the beginning and just worked my way through. And I had heard so I, I either never heard people mention this movie or when they mentioned it they were like yeah that's the worst one which especially for this franchise is just a yeah that claim <laughs> that is a huge claim yeah so i was i was very surprised you know like you said it's not you know this is not a history making movie this is not a groundbreaking movie but i think it's a really solid slasher i really enjoy it so i kind of wanted to come on and defend it a little because <laughs> I'm ready to defend it as a movie that I enjoy because I'd heard such bad things about it. And I think it gets forgotten a lot with this franchise. I'm surprised. I have never heard it described as the worst one. Was there anything that people said that they pointed out to like anything when they're like, Oh, this is the bottom of the barrel. I, I've heard a lot of people say that it's boring. I think being sandwiched in between obviously Texas Chainsaw 2, which is bonkers, and then mm-hmm. Next Generation, which is bonkers in a slightly different way. I think maybe it suffers in comparison, but I mm-hmm. I, I don't find it boring. I, you know, we'll get into it about it being really choppy, but I, it's, yeah. I always find it entertaining. And I think, like I said, it's a really solid slasher. It's a really, really true to the tone of the first movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so... But that's I heard it was boring, and I just heard a bunch of people just dismissing it completely. Yeah. So I I was really surprised when I watched it and thought, well, I really don't know what these people are talking about. And did you watch the theatrical cut, or did you watch the unrated? I, I, I'm not 100%. I believe I watched the theatrical cut. Did you uh, stream it online or buy the Blu-ray? Online. Yeah, that's the theatrical content. Yep. Um, since this was like a first time watch as a franchise for you, and I, what made me want to do this franchise was watching all of the series again out of order, like just randomly throwing bits on and being like, oh, I, I, I have been of the mind that like of the big four franchises, this is the most uneven of them. Like, mm-hmm. I think it has the highest peak but it has a lot more low lows than any of the other four. Agreed. Yeah. I don't know if I need to reevaluate that a bit. Cause like rewatching everything, 
at the very least, I'm never not entertained by one of the entries. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like there are some series you watch and you're like, like I never have to watch Halloween Resurrection again. And I probably <laughs> don't even have to watch part five again. Like if I left those <laughs> out of my rewatches, I'd be fine with that. As much as I love Tina is a uh, in part five of, of Halloween and like, I never need to see Jason on a boat ever again. Like Jason <laughs> takes a, a slow moving ferry. Um, whereas like, I don't know if there's an entry in this series or to be like, yeah, I would totally skip that one. Um, even Elm street, which I think is like the best and most consistent of the franchises. Like I don't like dream child. I'm like, yeah, you know, I admit there's some fun things there, but if I never watch that again, I'm cool with it. So um, five. Yeah, that one's five. Okay, okay. Because I was thinking, like, I don't think I remember much from Nightmare 5, so I think I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, as we talk about the making of this movie, there are, I think, a couple tie-ins with that one to, like, Leatherface being created. What is your overall thought of, like, the series as a whole, like, watching everything, like, binging it all back to back to back? Oh, I can't agree more that it's got the highest highs and the lowest lows. I, I'm mm-hmm. kind of fascinated with it just for how much of a wild disparity there is in mm-hmm. quality and i also i was kind of live tweeting a little bit last night and i said one thing i respect so much about texas chainsaw is the fact that every single sequel tells you to ignore everything that came before it except for mm-hmm. maybe the original and yep. they just now forget what that guy did this is the real story i'm i'm kind of obsessed with how um much they eschew or continuity yeah, they Which really kick it out the window. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I admire and appreciate the chaos of it. Um, but uh, there are a good number of movies in this franchise that unless I'm writing something about it or I need to rewatch it for podcasting purposes, I have no interest in revisiting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a reminder, Jessica, it's always volunteers part of the crew. <laughs> like we will never force you to be like, no, sorry, Jessica, you need to do Texas Chainsaw 3D or you're out. You know, we will never do that. We totally appreciate you being part of our crew here. So Andrew, how about yourself? Um, So I guess, but, uh, okay. So, I've always, like I've been a fan of these that, for that ugh, says a lot that like kind of yeah. sm- small grunt right before it yeah. says a lot. Yeah, it does. Um, OK, so I totally agree. Like there are some great highs and there are some low lows, um, the especially when you consider like how important and great and amazing the first movie is. I mean, like the what like the Museum of Modern Art, like takes a print of it, like pretty early on and everything like people like really see the importance of that. And then. Yeah, there's some definite low valleys in here, but the there is I agree that there's always something entertaining in all of them. Like I'm not like into fast car movies that much. I mean, no shade if that's what people are into, but like these are my fast car movies sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like seeing Chainsaw Violence. I mean, that's great. Um, a buddy and I, you know, growing up, we would watch one of these movies during Easter weekend for some reason. And so, like, and when, when my town finally got a blockbuster, we were actually able to see Chainsaw 2 for once because the independent video store didn't have that one, but it had, like, the unrated and the rated cut of Leatherface for some reason. It, anyway. Um, so, like, yeah, I've always kind of, like, enjoyed this this series quite a lot. I think that there's 
when it comes to like, I guess we could call this exploitation, but it is kind of kind of transcends that at the same time. There's something a little bit more extra to it. But um, yeah, when I think about particularly Leatherface or you know Chainsaw Three in the in the run of this franchise, like I do agree that it does seem to get forgotten. I don't know if I've ever heard it be called the worst though, but. I, yeah, because I feel like the next generation gets brought up a lot for the worst one, which it, it's bonkers, but it's fun. And it has two Academy Award winners in it. What's what's not to like? Um, so but, uh, much. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in next time, folks. Yeah. We get into that. Where I will defend yeah. it strenuously against Mike. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, for three, like, I mean, I agree that it doesn't have like as much you know, going on and like, uh, what's the, what's the word? Like, like uh, it doesn't have as much original stuff going on as the other ones. And it doesn't have the, I'm not going to call it humorless, but it is, it doesn't have the sense of humor that maybe the other, you know, the, the other ones are like that two mm-hmm. and four have around it, but it's still funny. It's still there. It still feels like a Texas chainsaw movie. And that's the thing. All of these movies may have, you know, some, where you know some variance in quality but they all feel like texas chainsaw movies like none of them mm-hmm. feel like some random outlier and i think that that's there's something to be said for that too yeah agree there's nothing that no one comes into any of the franchise and be like well we have to reinvent this what's going on is like that leatherface has not been sent to space yet <laughs> no. uh you know has not happened yet he is not a fairy tale demon that comes to life after stories end type of deal. And that's not a slander on new nightmare. That's just saying that's the direction that Wes Craven went with it. Like they're like, Nope, it's a dude wearing people's faces and he has a chainsaw and that's pretty much it. Um, Yeah. I saw this as a kid. It was the first one that I ever watched in the series. I remember seeing the teaser trailer for it where you have like the authorian uh lady by the lake with like leatherface standing by the lake and like the lightning crashes the arm comes up and tosses a chainsaw through the air and he catches it revs it up and it's like leatherface texas chainsaw massacre three and i'm like i need to see this movie like this is something that um 15 year old me must watch so I think I didn't get to see it in theaters, but I did uh, rent it. And I'm pretty sure I rented the um, unrated cut. I'm pretty sure that's what the video store down by the street from us had. Because um, I do remember it being like a lot gorier than like rewatching it this time around. Um, I really enjoyed it a lot as a kid, like really loved it as a teenager. And I think up until like a few years ago, I probably would have said like, of all the franchises, like the Texas Chainsaw has like the best first three movies. Um, I've definitely revisited that theory now and have been like, definitely don't feel like that now. Um, I think like the second one and this one have like lessened a bit in my eyes, but I still really enjoy it. Um, It's just like, you can tell when watching it, it's very similar to let's say Friday the 13th part seven, in that like you can feel the hands of the MPAA all over this movie and how it like really cut it to pieces. So it almost feels incoherent at times, like so much of like the good bits are hacked out of it. Um, Isn't Will Butler also in Friday seven? 
He is. He mm, is. Maybe we just have something against him. <laughs> yep. And if you go back in, if you go back through our archives, like way back, I think in our first 10 episodes, like Jerry and I did a bonus show where, cause he's friendly with Will Butler. We had Will Butler on to talk about um, his experiences, like making part seven. And then also he talked a little bit about making this movie. He had a, a lot of behind the scenes stories. And uh, so you can go back to our early episodes and find that uh, not to spoil things, but a lot of those stories involve heavy drug use uh, with everybody on on set um he was a really fun guest to have on yeah he he is the cousin that they're throwing the surprise party for mm. in part seven he said he was also killed by freddie and i don't know what that's referring to because as far as i know he's not in any of the elm street the movies tv, show, TV I think. show okay yeah, I had because when I when I saw that claim, I was like, "Oh, what? Which one was he in?" And then I found, mm-hmm. oh, he's in a Freddy's Nightmares. So okay, and I'm rewatching that because that's on Tubi now. Um, so I'm making myself rewatch that. It's like my dinner time <laughs> show. It is. Um, I have very fond memories of this show that I I fear. I'm about five episodes in. By about episode eight, I'm going to be like, "This doesn't really hold up." Like this is. It does not. It does not hold up. Um, but I would say this is a solid, like Leatherface is a pretty solid late period slasher from like that golden age of slashers, like is pretty solid in that regard. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the movie and like, let's talk a little bit about how this one got made. So this one is put out by New Line uh, after Canon Films goes belly up in the late 80s. Um, the rights for this franchise are up and new line picks it up and new line is still considered a pretty small studio at the time. Uh, the tagline is it's the house that Freddie built. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bob Shea had, all, you know, really never made like no, no problem ever admitting that and it's like, yeah, like a nightmare in Elm street is what made this studio. We probably wouldn't be around otherwise. That series is winding down. Um, part five had come out and had not done as well compared to like three and four in particular. And by that point, like, I think they're like, all right, the series is kind of becoming a joke. It's really straight off the roots. Um, why don't we just do one more of these and end things, but they're still like, all right, if we're going to not do the cash cow that's Elm street, we need something else. So they're like, we pick up the right to Texas chainsaw and they're like this. And they're also same year. This comes out or maybe a little bit before the first teenage ninja mutant turtles movie comes out. And that movie is massive. Mm-hmm. That movie is like insane. I remember seeing that in theaters and being like, this rules. Like, this is the greatest thing <laughs> ever. And it was considered the most successful independent movie of all time because New Line was still considered like an indie studio. So the Ninja Turtles was considered a independent film at the time, which t- tickles my funny bone. Although I guess like it was an indie comic book, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a black and white comic. So what do I know? So Bob Shea is like, all right, we're not doing any more of the Elm Street movies after Freddy's dead. So we need a new horror movie franchise. And it seems like a pretty smart idea. I mean, like 
there are only like two movies in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series at the time. So it's not like, you know, Halloween had five movies out by this time. Uh, Elm Street had six movies out or five movies out by this time. Friday the 13th had eight movies out (laughs) by this time. So it's like a series that everybody knows, but it's not super oversaturated. Um, But think about this. Think about New Line having the rights to A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all in the early 90s. And think about the mashup, the Monster Squad sequel that we could have gotten in the early 90s if Studio Fat Cats didn't get in the way. The, when I when I think about that, I try to think about what the human characters would be like. I mean, we would have forgotten oh, about them. <laughs> I mean, like, but like, just imagine the like lame conceit plot that they would come up with just to get the three of them together. Like, because you have to get who, who like who leaves their respective place. Who leaves? I mean, Freddy can go anywhere. He's a mm-hmm. but I mean, like, does Jason leave Camp Crystal mm-hmm. Lake? Does does Leatherface leave Texas? I mean, yeah, yeah. Freddy is probably the biggest homebody of all of them, though. Because like Freddie never re- leaves Springwood. As a matter of fact, like if I remember, one of the conceits of like Freddie's dead is like if he like crosses the border of Springwood, he like dissolves or whatnot. Like he can't yeah. do it, right? Mm. Jason's been in space. True. He's been to Manhattan or Vancouver, you know. <laughs> but Jason is like getting that passport going, and Texas is huge. Yeah. So even though like Leatherface has never left Texas, like it's a big it's like it's a pretty massive state it's, i'm trying to think of how many new england's can fit in texas and there's like, at least two at least two like at least two maybe it's three yeah i think you can drive like over nine hours and still be in texas or something mm-hmm. which yeah. ugh, sounds awful yeah sounds a... what an absolute nightmare yeah i think i think the only way to have a texas chainsaw massacre in space is if like Texas goes and gets another planet that is also named Texas, like and somehow oh. Leatherface ends up there. That's an idea I can get behind. Right? That's right my there. That is, <laughs> yeah. so, or I guess Texas... it could be like it could be the mm-hmm. name of like the spaceship, the the the, the SS Texas mm-hmm. or the whatever you call spaceships. I have no idea, but like I don't mind either of those ideas. I think. Texas, the state being sent into outer space with oh. Leatherface in the state, like that's a that's an idea that I can get behind. Then it's just right. like Escape from L.A., but mm-hmm. Texas. Ooh. You know, I've in never space. seen Escape yeah. from L.A. Oh, it's um, it's a, it's okay. I don't know. It's, it's enjoyable okay. for what it is. <laughs> um, it's it's fun. It's, it's not fun. as good as New York, but you know, mm-hmm. it's it's fun. It's 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 L.A. It's L.A. <laughs> All right, yeah. I'll have to watch that at some point. I mean. Big Trouble in Little China was a first time watch for me this year. So, mm. and for whatever reason, I always conflate that movie and Escape from L.A. For some reason, I always oh. mix those two together. Well, is it Kurt Russell? Kurt Russell, yeah, John Carpenter. It, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right, but we have a movie to make. We have to make Texas Chainsaw Massacre three. Damn it! And the question is, who's going to make it? So, New Line producer Mike DeLuca hires David Scrow, who at the time had written a number of like splatterpunk novels. Um, and Scrow, like his original script, he delivers like a pretty gritty 
um, slasher movie. Like he basically looks at the first one and it's like, what can I pull from this movie to kind of, he, he wanted to get away from like the campy humor of part two. And he wanted to go back to the original movie and the new line executives, like they're pretty happy with it. They're like, we want a hard R movie. Um, as long as it's rated R, we're fine. Uh, but we want like a actual horror movie. Like they wanted to kind of get away from the humor that the Elm street movies had fallen into figuring that like fans were kind kind of tired of that a bit. Um, and who to direct it. So new line goes to Peter Jackson of like meet the feebles and bad taste. And they offer Peter Jackson this movie, but he turns it down. And, they, did they mm-hmm. want him from an Elm Street movie at one time, too? They did. They offered him Freddy's Dead as well. Okay, that's right. Um, and the pitch that Jackson had for Freddy's Dead is kind of what they ended up going with for Freddy versus Jason, mm-hmm. in that Freddy had become a joke by the time of, in, in Freddy's Dead. Like, the, he was no longer scary, and kids would actually try to have nightmares so they could confront Freddy in the dream world and beat the crap out of him. Ah. Um, And then he accidentally kills a kid who's dreaming. Like the kid accidentally dies and that starts to slowly restore fear, which restores his power. So that was his pitch. And my understanding of it is that uh, Rachel Talahay, Talahay, who had been a producer uh, and had done so much for the series, like went to, Bob Shea and said, look, I've done, I I would really like a chance to direct Mm -hmm. this movie. And and he felt like a sense of loyalty to her and said the absolutely, which I really like Freddy's dead more than most. I think it's a, when you view it from the perspective of like an Irish wake and like a real fun (laughs) send off for a character. Like, I think it's like, if you look at it from that perspective, it works a bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like new line was high on Peter Jackson well before anybody else um even getting lord of the rings like miramax offered it he had pitched it to miramax and they wanted to just do one movie out of the three books um and new line said okay we're going to give you what you want like we're going to actually let you do this um so jackson turns it down the story is like jeff burr is on a short list of people and he's the first one to commit to it so he had done uh stepfather two shortly before this that had been received really well like it was supposed to go straight to video it ended up getting a theatrical release and had done fairly well for what it was i think like the the fun thing about like the first couple stepfather movies like they're kind of the birth of the lifetime movie of the week genre of horror like they very much feel like in that vein so all right, but Burr is hired, and two weeks later, they're in production because nothing says, like, professional production than, like, rushing things right out of the gate. And this is the first... Oh, works out well. So New Line, I guess, like, they are really not cutting the budget. Like, it's not like part two where Cannon keeps going to Hooper and cutting his budget every so often giving him less and less to work on. But new line is very much like, this is your budget. You're going to stick to it or else. And did either of you watch the documentary about the making of this movie? You can find it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's on the Blu-ray. Like, is it me or did you get the sense that Jeff Burr is like super stressed out when making this movie? 
Oh, totally. Yeah, it sounds like, because this was the first one not made in Texas, so this one was, like, shot in Southern California, like, mm -hmm. near Magic Mountain, apparently. So, yeah. like, New Line is around to, like, be annoying, and so, yeah, I can understand, like, you know, like, when you're, like, I don't think Canon was probably in Texas that much while Toby was doing his thing, and no, like... They were. You know, oh, oh, no, they were, they were okay. there. They okay, were okay. sending goons, like, basically hired goons out to set every <laughs> other day to be like, do this right, yeah. Okay, okay. So, well, I mean, like, but, you know, and since Toby got to just do everything on his own, and we, and we all know how, mm -hmm. I mean, it turned out really well, but we also know how horrible that was for some people. But, you know, like, he wasn't able to, like, stretch his wings as much. Um, Burr wasn't because, you know, there was all this constant, like, his boss was around all the time. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's hard to feel like you're doing your thing when you're being observed the yeah. whole time. Yeah, because, like, New Line has a very concrete mandate they're like we want a franchise mm -hmm. like we need to be able to not just do this movie but we need to do like two three four five more of these movies based on this one right now and burr is very much like i just want to do the best movie i can for this and not worry about anything else right now and those two things are going to butt heads really quick um he's actually fired from the movie when there's like two weeks left to shoot, like they producers come down and they're like, look, we need your shot list for the next two weeks. And he's like, guys, I'm five weeks into a seven week shoot. If you don't know how I do it at this point, I don't know what to tell you. He's like, well, if you don't give us a list, we'll fire you, which they do. And then like two or three days later, um, they can't find anyone to kind of pick up the pieces of it and start directing. So they rehire him uh that sunday and to his credit you know he's like i think comes back and is like i want to finish making this movie like he kind of knew like i i have to finish it at this point um just like watching the documentary you could see the stress on everybody's face making this and like all the pressure they're kind of under um but then Bob Shea will do things like oh i don't like any of these chainsaws so even though we've already like spent all of the money we've allotted to the chainsaw budget, we're going to spend four or $5,000 on this massive 80 pound longest blade you could possibly get. And that becomes like the centerpiece of like all the marketing in the movie, you know? So like they're as much as they're like holding him to a budget, they're also like, Hey, we're going to blow it frivolously on this. I mean, to be fair, it is a pretty iconic piece of, you know, prop it there. It does. It does help sell the movie. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that. If it helped, it didn't help much. No. Um, but so, I do think, like the way it looks on the VHS cover, or any actually like any cover of it, because they only there's really just the one image. But I mean, it looks yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's in. The, it has like the the saw is family emboldened mm -hmm. on it, so it's pretty cool. Um, but New Line says like, look, it has to be an R rated movie. TCM two had come out unrated, and that limited the advertising they could get. It limited how many theaters it could play in. And New Line is like, nope, we need a hit. So Burr delivered a horror movie, like he delivered a slasher movie. Um, and if you go back, if you've only seen the theatrical, you can see the deleted and extended scenes like it is a very much a splatter film. Um, the death of the young woman who had escaped from at the beginning of the movie, like her death is horrific. 
And they didn't even film the intended version of that death, which would have ended with her being like bisected in half, um, which is kind of commonplace now, but back then it would have been like a mind fuck. Um, the scene where William Butler's character like gets the sledgehammer to the head, like you watch the theatrical and you're like, I don't even quite get what's going on here because it's so cut up. Um, not only is it extended in this version, but it's also like the little girl setting the whole contraption up and delivering the killing blow. And the MPAA is like, nope, like we're definitely not having 10 year old girls running their own kind of sledgehammer thing. So this movie, like it's really hacked up by the MPAA to get an R rating. It pushes the release back from November to January. Um, and it comes out. And it's not number one, it's double ones. It's like comes out at number 11 at the box office and pretty much tanks Jeff Burr's like theatrical directing career. Like, I don't think he has another movie that ever goes to theaters, but also New Line is like, nope, like aren't going to be doing any more of these movies, but we got those Ninja Turtles. So maybe we can make another one of those. I do want to see yeah. Leatherface, The Secret of the Ooze, though. Yeah. That would be fun, and I think it would be appropriate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, exactly. I think Definitely that would have work. worked. <laughs> All right. What are our thoughts about this movie? You know, starting with, like, The Crawl. Like, I think it's pretty interesting that every entry in this series keeps the opening crawl until you get to, like, Texas Chainsaw, the beginning in 2006. So what do we make of this one? I, I really liked... I, you know, again, it, it changes the continuity every time, which I have fun with. But I like that uh, supposedly in the trial, Leatherface is a persona rather than an actual mm-hmm. separate person, which, uh, you know, kind of brings it more closely in with the Ed Gein idea mm-hmm. of him becoming someone else when he puts on like his mom's skin, you know, um, this suit that he made. Um, so but I also enjoy uh, just the idea that the cops in the court system get it so wrong and just write, write it off as being so horrific that it can't be real. And then it Mm -hmm. kind of allows this guy to keep going and they just screwed it up so much that you keep having chainsaw massacres because nobody actually believes this guy exists. Right. And no one's like, I wonder if these are related. (laughs) Yeah. Texas nope. is a big state. I mean, mm-hmm. true. No one talks to each other, I guess. Yeah. Pre-internet as well. Pre-internet. Yeah. So. Oh, good point. Good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think the. Ooh, yeah. You go, no, go you back. first, Andrew. You first. I've talked enough so far. <laughs> um, so the Gein stuff, I think, was something they really tried to lean into on on this one. So I think you're you're right on there. And uh, the thing I find interesting about the crawl is like I think they tell us that Sally died um, mm-hmm. in their intervening time. So she's dead in this continuity, but she ex- well, I guess cuz Texas Chainsaw 3D, she's that's a, supposed to be a direct sequel to the first one again, so I guess it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. But still. Yeah. Right. And she's alive and kicking in the new Netflix one. Yeah, yeah. But that one's also supposed to be a direct sequel to the first one. So it's it's just like Jessica said, that doesn't matter what that other guy did. It's it's (laughs) our own thing. (laughs) Yeah. I like The Crawl. Part of it is it kind of confirms how I've always looked at like the end of the first movie and that like Sally's body escapes, but her mind never does. Mm. Like she's, there's just, sorry, some things you're not coming back from. Um, I kind of like watching this one 
in, in the crawl in particular being the first bit that borrows from the first movie, how much does this movie as a whole feel like a soft reboot or remake of the first movie to both of you? Kind of all of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, with the flashbulb sounds at the beginning when they're taking pictures of the pit and the armadillo roadkill close up, and it does feel like not a shot-for-shot remake, obviously, but, you know, the the family dinner with the screaming final girl, uh-huh. you know, it does feel like kind of a, I'm not going to say reboot, because I hate that word, but yeah, soft reboot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because it like the first three things we have like parallel the first movie. You have the crawl, you have like the charnel pits, which are like the graveyard. You have the gas station scene. Mm-hmm. Then you have the family dinner set up in a very similar way. It feels very much like this movie is meant to parallel it, um, and almost like how Curse of Chucky works as a remake of the series but also fits in very neatly with the continuity like it's one where if you had not seen any of the other previous movies you can watch this one and not feel like you're getting lost anywhere along the way where with most series you know you jump in in a part three and you're kind of asking a lot of questions usually mm-hmm. um the cold open of this movie though you, know, you can tell it's a new line movie because it feels very much like the opening to a nightmare in Elm mm-hmm. Street. Instead of a leather glove, it's a leather face. <laughs> well, not leather, but you know. It, it, well, yeah, leather depends. Could be a leathery. I guess it was supposed to be the woman he hit with the sledgehammer, but. Yeah, because the rose tattoo shows up later. True. Right. Yeah. True. Um, you know, as much as like movies now i think tend to over explain things like you tend to kind of oh how did indiana jones get his hat you know like we need to find that out (laughs) um it's really important uh so we need like a prequel we need a five movie prequel series that is about that i it feels like this is very much doing that like it's very much like showing like this is a very iconic thing so we have to show him you know kind of making the faces Mm -hmm. Uh, now I want to see Indiana Jones and the purchase of the fedora. But, yeah. <laughs> How many stores he went to. Yeah. The haberdasher's curse. Did he haggle? Ooh, for I like better that better. Yeah. <laughs> It'll probably be better than Indiana Jones 5. Probably. Although yeah. I do like him telling Chris Pratt when I die, Indiana Jones dies. Yes. And basically threatening to haunt Chris Pratt from... <laughs> beyond the grave at this point which it made me sad to realize that harrison ford is 80 and that got dark for a minute let's just move on let's move on and talk about much lighter things like women getting hit in the face with a sledgehammer again right away like how the movie starts you get your victim you get leatherface coming out like i like where this is going and then you cut to michelle and ryan kate hodge playing michelle ryan played by william butler hodge Again, the two performers that like you don't see them in a ton of things, but they seem to have like a million credits between them after this movie, including Kate Hodge and She Wolf of London, which is a one season TV show. It includes Mick Garris and Tom McLaughlin along its director among its directors. And I don't know why I've never seen this. Yeah, I remember it existing and I've seen like the 
like the '40s Universal Monster She Wolf of London, mm-hmm. but huh. yeah, I think I remember it existing on syndication, maybe on the Sci Fi Channel when it was still the Sci Fi Channel before it was Sci-Fi or whatever it is. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, it's still Sci Fi, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. This might the, be was she the titular She Wolf or the She Wolf's she best friend or something? Is the titular She Wolf? She's running right. the lead. She's running the lead on this one. So, you know, one thing I noticed is. Um, that these are slightly older protagonists than you're typically yeah. getting in horror movies, right? And I think that's the thing is like the 90s begins, you start to get away from like teenagers in peril. Like you see like a new nightmare. It's an adult Heather Langenkamp at this point who has a wife, uh, has a husband and a child. Um, even Friday the 13th, like it's an adult single mom. Uh, you're kind of like your audience. And even Halloween, you have like Carrie Strode, who is a college student, um, mm-hmm. a single mom and a college student. Like they, filmmakers have kind of realized like, all right, the audience for these movies have maybe aged up a little bit. What did we make of like these two? Like when you watch these two bickering in the car, what are your initial thoughts? I'm a big fan of having kind of an adversarial dynamic or not a romance, but the after effects of a breakup or a soon to be Mm -hmm. breakup. Like I really, I think that adds a lot of interesting tension, especially because we don't have a large group. We don't have five friends in a van. You know, we don't have a lot of people being sliced and diced. So there has to be something to keep it really interesting and dynamic. So I think having that tension between them is really smart. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I I kind of think that Ryan is, you know, he's not you don't automatically want him to die, but you do kind of hate him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um like uh just just like a tiny bit. I mean, like he's not he's not like the the yuppie boys in the in the second movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, shooting like they're not shooting at like signs on their way, you know, onto something. So they're not like obnoxious. They feel like I mean, I guess he's a he's a med student, I I, I suppose. Yep. So he feels like you know, you you know, the, it, he, they their their relationship feels like one they both know has an expiration date, and that's something that that's you know I feel like that became kind of a cliche maybe a little bit later on to have the the couple that is you know doomed to not be together, but in a different way. Like this, they're both on the same page about it this time because I think there's a lot of horror films where like a married couple or a couple whose like relationship is on the rocks and like they'll go off on a like they'll go to a cabin in the woods to like try to make things better like i feel like that Mm -hmm. happened a lot but kind of later but in this case these this couple like knows what's going on and they're you know they have to like reckon with it in like a different way that is you know i think that's 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 interesting to see and it's funny that it doesn't ever come up again in other movies you'd think people would would use that more but I do agree that there is an interesting tension there. I just wish that came up more as it comes as the movie goes on. Like, like they fight a fair amount, but they're not fighting in like a manner I totally expect from this dissolving relationship. Totally, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. yeah. There's a real bitterness to Ryan that yeah. comes out in this movie. Like when he when he um, hears like the broadcast on the radio about the. Uh, putrefying bodies and the 
um, broadcasters having a large, hard time pronouncing the word, which I don't even remember what it is. I just remember it's a very difficult word. He like says it and then just calls the guy an idiot with this like tone of condens, uh, mm-hmm. of, um, I am losing track. I want to say condens, Con- condescension. I was always say condensation. Like, yes, yeah, so he's, <laughs> he's very wet. Um, <laughs> Um, there's a tone of condescension in his voice. Um, and he's like that with like the police officer, like everything is bitter. Like his first words to text are like, yippee Kaye. And it's like, Oh, you going to die. Like in that moment, <laughs> Tex is like, okay, this is, you know, like when Tex arrives, he doesn't lead the person, the person who picked him up and gave him a ride, just drops him off. You know, so you figure maybe that guy was cool with Tex, So he gets to live, but you know, Ryan is like such a dick to everybody that he meets. Like, yeah, he knows the relationship with like Michelle is over, but he's not willing to accept that yet. Like he's still going to mm-hmm. be like a real pissant about it. Yeah. Um, and I think what's really interesting to you when he gets trapped in the bear trap, Michelle looks behind her once sizes the situation up, like does all the calculations in her head and then books it out. She's like, nope, doesn't even try to help him and then run away at the last minute. She is like, almost like it's her Martin Luther King free at last moment. Like it's almost <laughs> like, almost like you could picture her saying that in her head. Um, Cause she's like done with this like dead weight at that point. So, which it's hard to blame her. Um, yeah. And yes, I did just compare <laughs> A moment in here with like the I have a dream speech. I did do that. I have no regrets. That's just the way that I roll. Um, I do want to see an alternate ending to this movie where Michelle has to like deliver the car to her dad. because That's the whole point of the trip. Yeah. I want to see her like deliver the car with like no windshield and the trunk has been ripped off and it's all hacked up and her dad just be like, what the fuck did you do? Like my car, you know, and then. I drove the movie Texas. ends. Yeah, the movie ends in a slide whistle, you know. And that, <laughs> I think that would be great. Um, what about the burial pits? Like, I thought this was a really nice homage to the first movie, but like, these are fucking disgusting. Like, you could tell they want they did they really wanted to like gross people out with this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm obsessed with the fact that these they're so toxic that they're wearing these full hazmat suits to Mm -hmm. even approach them like the idea that like the sawyers are like poisoning the land with what they're Mm -hmm. doing and just how disgusting like the i i I don't remember how you pronounce the word either but the the poison crisco as he refers Mm -hmm. to it um and i like that i think another thing that kind of harkens back to the first movie is you know, we're talking about that they don't really travel outside of their home base. They're kind they remind me of like a Venus flytrap or like those spiders that build the funnel webs that kind of trap mm-hmm. people. In. You know, they they wait and they don't get every victim who comes through, but they just kind of lay back with this trap and wait for people to wander into their territory. Mm-hmm. And very I like that. I, yeah, I'm obsessed with that idea and I think those pits tie into that a lot, like kind of the the outskirts of their territory, and that's the evidence of like their poison seeping out from their core outward. So I'm, yeah, yep. I think that's such an effective opening, not just for being disgusting and gooey, but like what these, this family is all about. 
And I love when the camera pulls back and you get the scope of how large this area is. Yeah, like, no. it's not a like The first movie, it's like, okay, there's been a few graves that have been robbed and you get those, like, bizarre, unnerving sculptures of dead people. Like, again, one of the best... And my family doesn't get... Well, my daughter doesn't get unnerved by movies very often. But when we put that on for, like, a family movie night over dinner... <laughs> um, Again, bad choice for like a dinner time movie. That's just how I roll as a dad. Um, but they were like, this is disgusting. You know, past the general Sal's chicken, <laughs> but this is very, very gross right now. And you get like that in in um, exponentially here where it, everything is going to be bigger at this point. Like the heads are coming off the corpses and they're like squelching off. Um, and you get a... Nice little nod to part two here in that Caroline Williams mm -hmm. returns for like a very brief walk on. And I, I know it's not explicitly stated, but my understanding is that it is supposed to be the stretch character and she is kind of taken up where lefty his left off. Like she is now hunting this family down trying to find out like what is going on here. And I really like that as a subtle nod to the movie that came before it. I like it too. Yeah. I kind of wish that we could have had like a sequel. Like if we had a legacy sequel, it would have been interesting to have her to her come back. Like mm -hmm. instead of Sally, maybe in this new one that we had yeah. where like that would have been more interesting if it was stretch instead of Sally. I like, Oh, that would have been so much better. Yeah. yeah. They may do that. I doubt they will, but I'd, I'd like to see them do that in the next one because they're making another mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Yeah, it would have made sense for a number of reasons. Number one, as much as I love Sally, I think that when people associate a final girl with this particular franchise, I think it's Stretch. I think it's because Caroline Williams' portrayal, there's so much going on there, and it is a bit different from your typical final girl arc um, in that she's a little bit older. She's kind of asserting herself into the action a lot more. Um, it would have made a lot more sense. And number two, like Carolina Williams is still alive and working. Um, you know, Marilyn Burns had sadly passed away not too long after Gunnar Hansen, if I remember correctly. So you have this performer, you know, part of the reason why Jamie Lee Curtis works so well and, and, and Nev Campbell works so well in returning to Halloween and Scream, um, respectively, is that, like, you've grown up watching these performers in that role. Like, you associate them with it. Like, you don't really get that in the new Texas Chainsaw. Like, you could excise that whole thing. And we'll get to that in five, five more movies, six more movies. So, sorry. Um, I would have loved to have seen a return for that. I... Hadn't even thought of that until you said it, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. Great call. Um, moving on to the gas station. Again, trying to recreate every all the beats from the first one, including Alfredo, who is one of my favorite characters in this movie. Um, but he is fucking disturbing. Like he is, he adds a, you tell he's modeled off the hitchhiker but he adds like a level of like sexual deviance, deviancy yeah. that is not there in the other movies, even with chop top. Like it is. Ugh. 
Yeah. And I, not to get too dark, but I like the idea of, um, cause he hints at some necrophilia when she, he's disposing of the body parts. I kind of like that they introduce like a sexually violent element to the cannibalism. And I can't believe I just said mm -hmm. that, but I do think it makes sense. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, I'm glad they haven't delved too deeply into that in other movies, but I like the way they do it in this one. Mm -hmm. Especially with that Ed Gein thing. Mm -hmm. It's, it is a little odd that they don't go that direction, but I guess if you're, well, since Toby was trying to get a PG the first time, right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, um, you get the little nods to part one again with like, he's holding a camera. He takes mm -hmm. a picture very much, but even like he delivers a line where he's like, Oh, you're in a big hurry. It's what the hitchhiker says to Sally when he removes the, burlap sack from her face when he sees her in the home and realizes who it is and he's like i thought you were in a big hurry you know you get like a similar line here like they're definitely nodding to that um here you know with with alfredo doing nubbin's line and I, where do you think alfredo fits in this kind of adopted family i had a hard time realizing like is he part of the family or is he kind of hired help is he a second cousin like just trying to do the dynamic because you never see them interact with anyone else in the family aside from Tex before you know they're involved. I, I think of him as hired help. Like he's kind of mm -hmm. the, yeah. the custodian, you know, disposing of things and running the gas station to, you know, vet victims, I think. Sure. Yeah. And mm -hmm. he's he might be the connection to the outside world for them. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. he he might be the reason why that there aren't bodies in the gross pit anymore. It's like, hey, they caught on to that, so we're gonna have to start putting the bodies in the swamp instead. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. So like in like the gas station clerk is often like the like the harbinger role, and he's not mm -hmm. exactly that. He's I can't quite figure out what this would be. Him and Tex are like the scouts, I guess. Mm -hmm. Would that mm -hmm. be yeah. the best term? Yeah. So like, but yeah, I agree. I don't think he's actually related to the I'm I'm also not 100% sure any of them are actually related <laughs> to each other um mm -hmm. except except for I think the little girl is Leatherface's daughter that's about yep. that's that's the only one I'm fairly certain about and the rest of it could be just this adoptive family that This is definitely the movie at, that asks what if Leatherface fucked that yeah. is definitely a question it is asking here and I don't think I don't think we're going to like those answers I think that those are not answers. So they are asking questions nobody wants answers to. Yeah, I you know I think you said it, like calling them the scouts. They're kind of like Alfredo and Tex are like the Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sigourney Weaver in the movie Heartbreakers role. Like they are definitely, you know, they are pulling in the rubes, as it were, to say they're setting up the marks here. Um, you know, and, and Tex is interesting in that he's like the cook in the first movie kind of giving directions. But the cook in the first movie is like, hey, don't go to this house. There's nothing there for you. You don't want there's nothing there that you need here. Like Tex is deliberately leading them astray. He's deliberately mm -hmm. trying to get them killed. Yeah. And I have to ask, is is Vigo going to show up, show up on your like hot horror hunks list later or? He might um, when we do that for psychoanalysis, he yeah. he might. Um, I'm trying to think if I can reveal like Catherine Isabel. Oh, actually, I say Margot Kidder is going to make my list. 
Oh, okay. um, yeah, because I think she is one of the most beautiful women of all time. So I don't know. I don't I don't know if Jen and Lara have seen this movie. I don't think this would be a Jen movie. No, probably not. No. So I don't, if I tell her that Viggo Mortensen wears overalls in this movie, <laughs> she might watch it. It's a pretty Maybe. big selling point. Oh, who's the puppers? This is Kaylee. She was whining on the bed, and I thought she'd be happier oh. next to me while we record. <laughs> no problem. If she barks or anything, I can always cut it. So no worries at all. Like, don't worry about it at all. Dogs bark. What can you do? Yeah. You know, uh, my cat headbutts the screen usually when we record. So <laughs> it's you know, pets are we don't deserve them. They are too good for us. Exactly. Um, mm. End of this scene is my favorite shot in the whole movie like i mm-hmm. love the the chaotic energy of that crane shot of like alfredo yeah. blasting the shotgun in the air the truck peeling out and him just yelling like armageddon time like that's a genuinely creepy moment in a movie that i think has some really good ones but that one is like different from what you typically get from this series i love that whole sequence yeah i think it's yeah, it's interesting that they're doing so much to call back to the original, but then those little moments where they're like, no, this is this is our movie. This is a different thing. I, I think that's mm-hmm. one reason I like it so much. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a nice little touch there. Who is driving that truck? I'm guessing Tink. Um, like, because I think we see him later with the truck. Yeah. Is that a different truck? I thought he had a tow truck. Is this oh, a tow maybe- truck? Oh, maybe it was. I don't know. There's there. Uh, I'm there's. A, I have a lot of questions that come up during this following part. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm also like, who is the person who stumbles out into the road to scare Kin Foray mm-hmm. later? I thought like, that was Tex. Is that Tex? Like, I I, I looked at it earlier text. today, and I couldn't figure it out. Even when I paused it, who it was. Mm-hmm. So maybe it isn't. I don't know. But either way, like, there's so there, I have some questions in this. Like, who is doing what at this point? <laughs> but. Eh. It could be Leatherface driving this truck. It could be. You know, I mean, Leatherface, like this is, dude, like good. And, you know, what a jump for this guy. Like he goes from being scared of the world and like kind of cowering in the living room after like people are rushing into his house unannounced to like he's driving, he's fucking like he's listening to tunes. You know, I I picture him listening to like, the replacements on the that old headset, yes. you know, maybe yes. some REM. Like he's going through his college rock phase. Like good for Leatherface in this movie. Yeah, that you know? scene where he shares the headphones is like, oh man, I feel I I, I, I feel am that. relating a little too much to Leatherface right now because mm-hmm. I've definitely had moments like, here, try the song out. The song sucks. Yeah. Like that's yeah, <laughs> feel it in my bones right there. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so we get the crash and like. We do get Leatherface now in this. I think what the first three movies all get really well, don't do really well is how they introduce Leatherface. Obviously the first one, I think it's the most iconic, like best introduction of a villain in Mm -hmm. horror movie history. Like you cannot do any better than that. But here love the little nod of continuity to the first movie where he's wearing like the metal knee brace and just like the, the, you know what's coming, but the sound of him walking up and then the reveal, I think, is really perfect and really well done. Yep. And I like that yeah. it's a shot so similar to his, like, the, the first chainsaw, like Franklin's death in the mm-hmm. first movie. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, but what do we make of Leatherface played by kind of like a bodybuilder stunt double like R.A. Uh, Melioff, um, who a very large man. I guess you can't really have like small people play Leatherface, you know, but he in the second movie, my understanding is um, the performer like couldn't wield the chainsaw. It was actually too heavy for him. So any scene where there's actual chainsawing, it's a stunt double. Um, here, this dude is like a strong dude. He said that cha- big, big chainsaw is about 80 pounds, and he was able to wield it without a lot of trouble. But what do we think of his portrayal of Leatherface this time around and how the character is developed? One of the moments that sticks out to me is, again, where he's putting the headphones on Michelle at one of my favorite Leatherface moments in the original is when we're just watching him after he's had kind of a meltdown and he's Mm -hmm. kind of running his tongue over his teeth and kind of just moving his mouth around. And he does that again a little bit in this one, partly just to call attention to the state of his teeth and how, Mm -hmm. you know, how much this family is breaking down physically. But I just, Mm -hmm. There's something so creepy but sad about that moment that I really like. So I like that that there's that element of sadness to Leatherface in this movie. Yeah. Well, this is his first adoptive family, probably. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not like, I mean, maybe they're related. Maybe they're like second or third cousins. Like, I could feasibly believe that. But I mean, like, this isn't who he grew up around, Mm -hmm. probably. So, I mean, that's that's like that kind of shares something there. And I I think uh, the screenwriter was trying to make you know, teenage Leatherface out of this in this one. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the 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 actor portrays that pretty well. The the scene I particularly I kind of like because it tells us a little bit more about Leatherface. Like Mike, you brought up that you think he's he's probably autistic in like a nonverbal way. And mm-hmm. so he's playing with that like speaking spell and I and he he knows how to spell food. <laughs> like I think that mm-hmm. that that says a little bit more of something about his intellect that we have not gotten before or, or really since that, I mean, like he at least knows how to spell food. So he has some kind of understanding of how, how things work. And I'm like, you know, when, when it comes to like the disabilities part of this, like I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like how people see this one. Um, like I'm curious what Nicole thinks about this one. And yeah, uh, and but uh, yeah, that's something I really like about this one is like he's being kind of a teenager, but we also see that he's like learned stuff. He has kind of I mean, like he, he has becomes a little bit more emotionally complicated, I guess, mm-hmm. in this one. Um, now, this isn't like, you know, leaps and bounds different. I mean, but it is still there is still like an added piece to this character that isn't there in the first two and i think i and, and i thought this guy went on to be a wrestler but since you didn't mention that and you're mr wrestling i like i think i didn't recognize him what did he portray so who was he as a i have no idea i i know nothing of wrestling <laughs> um other than the ones that go on to become like you know like Dwayne and the and hulk hogan like that that's all yep. i know of it does say was a professional wrestler i didn't okay. know I didn't recognize him as one though, but no, it, you know, yeah, I mean, he definitely looks the part, right? Yeah. So I'm just going through his IMDb. What's interesting about pro wrestling is like they acknowledge it's all the work and that mm-hmm. everybody is acting, but they don't list it. 
like a they're not part of the screen actors guild which they Mm -hmm. should be because like they're delivering lines like their stuff is scripted for them and they're delivering lines and this is going to get me in a little tangent here but they should be part of the screen actors guild because then they would not be independent contractors which means Mm -hmm. they would be eligible for things like health insurance yeah um, they are currently not and that has led to a lot of very tragic situations and Mm -hmm. is also put them in very compromised situations as well where they're performing stunts that they feel they have to or they'll get cut or won't earn but that's a story for another day um we're recording this like the day after Vince McMahon announced his retirement because he just felt it was time at 77 and uh-huh. has nothing to do with all of the allegations that have resurfaced from the Wall Street Journal. And, it, you know, separating the art from the artist is always like a very interesting conversation to have. And like, I definitely wrestle with the fact that like, this person who's provided probably more hours of entertainment than any other person. Um, Cause I've watched so much wrestling from the age of four on is one of the worst human beings to ever grace the planet. And it's something that I really like very much struggle with. Like I would love to go to WrestleMania. I joke with my wife, like I want that for my 50th birthday, but then I'm like, ah, I don't want to give this guy any money. I feel so, that. Yeah. yeah. Sidetrack. Sorry about that, listeners. Sorry. It was, it was my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. We uh, we love diversions here. Um, Sammy, don't eat the rabbit's food. What are you doing? <laughs> that was quite a pause between rabbits and food. I was really nervous for a second. Yes. They love each other. They are buddies, but he's eating his lettuce right now because he likes lettuce. He loves spinach. So, <laughs> um, okay. Um, yeah, this Leatherface to me, it feels like he's gone from like, he's purely a slasher villain mm-hmm. in this movie. Like he's much more like you're straightforward. I am going to kill these people because like they are in my way. Like, and he's proactively going out in this movie and like seeking out victims where in like the first movie, all the victims pretty much come to him except for Franklin but he only goes after Franklin by that time because he's like scared. He's like, I have to protect the home. Um, and the second movie, the douchey yuppies like try to run him off the road. So they go after him at that point. Like he's more of a pawn in those two movies. And here he's way more proactive like that. You know, we're describing him as a teenager. I would say like the kind of like petulance that might've described that might've been attributed to him in the second movie in particular is gone. Um, and aside from the speak and spell scene where he's like misspelling food and it's, or misspelling clown for food and it's played for a laugh, like the disabilities like that we see in the first movie in particular. Um, I mean, Toby Hooper says like he wanted to play him as a, he wrote him as a developmentally disabled person. You don't necessarily see that here. Here he's a lot more cognizant of his actions he's a lot more proactive he seems to have a fuller understanding of what's going on around him he's just he might even just be selectively mute for all we know um so it's an interesting portrayal and that it's like angrier and definitely more of a jason or michael type of slasher killer which i think makes him less interesting as a killer like i think Mm -hmm. what makes leatherface interesting 
are the moments when he's like sitting by the living room window terrified because like these teenagers have just intruded his home. You know, I think those are the things that make him much more of a discussion than like Michael Myers, who like he's the embodiment of evil. Like, okay, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. But we get that's, you know, how I that's how I think we all feel about Leatherface this time around. Ken Foray coming into the mix of survivalist, like love him, needs to be in more things, makes the movie like 10. And I think it's good he's introduced when he is, because I think this is where the movie starts to fall apart a bit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, he definitely adds something that makes it move a little bit better and gives another like it, it brings in another person for us to. Like we, uh, so oftentimes in, you know, in a slasher movie, we may have someone like this come in to just be killed. Like, mm-hmm. but this time we get, we're, we're brought in someone whose side we're on and want to root for. Yeah. Yeah. And you like him cause he's like competent. Like he knows what he's doing. Like mm-hmm. these two kids would not stand a chance without him there. If he yeah, was, and he's a, be... yeah, he's a survivalist that isn't annoying too. Mm-hmm. Like that, beca- and that may have been a thing that came out later because I feel like oftentimes the survivalist character in in horror movies is kind of the insufferable guy that you still mm-hmm. want to die. So, and they don't they don't do that with him, and I like that. No, he's just gonna. Foray has a real charisma. Like he's just so easy to watch, and like you know his outcome was changed in this movie because mm-hmm. like he tested so high. Like he originally was killed in the movie in that swamp scene, and then test audiences are like oh we really like him so new line reshot the ending so that like a chainsaw to the head only caused like enough damage that a small band-aid would cover it just yeah another person who could return for a legacy sequel you know he could Um, absolutely could and there will be more of them like there's going to be more of these movies like Mm -hmm. we're never not going to have these movies like we're never there will be more Elm Streets. There will be more Halloweens. There will be more Friday the 13th. Like, it will happen. There's yeah. no way these are done. Yeah. Um, I think on the last episode, someone brought up that these could all be just urban legend stories. Yeah. Like, that this could be, like, and that would actually be kind of interesting. Like, if mm-hmm. all of these movies, like, if they were just totally going to give up, <laughs> just like, yeah. all these movies are just folklore in Texas, and then the normies meet to the real leather face or something like mm-hmm. that, that. That would be an easy movie to make. Yeah. Yep. And that was one of the pitches for Freddy versus Jason that like yeah. the characters you saw, like they were characters in movies and we're going to have like the trial of Jason Voorhees. I think that was, um, I'm going to forget Rob Moore who created the Battlestar Galactica reboot. Like that mm. was, his pitch for Freddy versus Jason, if I remember correct. Um, but I think this is where the movie definitely falls apart a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it just like you're, it's basically about an hour of like people running around in the woods in the dark. Yeah. I had to get to a really, I had to, I was watching this in my living room and then I had to like go down into like the darkest room in my house in, mm-hmm. in order to watch this part. <laughs> this, yeah. Yeah. It's hard to see anything. It's not, particularly well lit everything kind of looks the same um and you feel like it's weird because like it's what i would associate with like a independent horror movie which is what the Mm -hmm. first one is and the first one is one of the best looking horror movies of all time and here you have like 
a studio movie with a budget and it just looks like amateur hours, which is kind mm-hmm. of kind of to its detriment. And that might be like when um Jessica, where you were saying like, oh, it's the worst movie of the series, like that's probably what somebody could point to about this particular one is like how this middle section just kind of like goes off the rails a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's certainly, I don't think this is a perfect movie by any means, but I, mm-hmm. I do think that, uh, you know, even if you're a huge fan, it loses you at certain points. And I, yeah. I can see why people would point to that for. Yeah. You might not think it's perfect, but you were like, I rather do this one than the original. So I don't know. <laughs> I think what you're saying is this one's better than the original. Jessica I'm, is what I'm saying that this hot is, take. this is better not only is it the best horror movie ever made it's the best movie ever made so move excellent excellent so so citizen kane vertical wizard of oz tokyo story leatherface texas chainsaw massacre 3 that's the mount rushmore that's the mount rushmore it's just four leather faces on mount rushmore excellent where does ernest goes to camp fit Ooh, okay now i'm rethinking everything but, okay. But Ernest scared not just about movies, but everything. Okay, Ernest scared stupid is number one. Ernest goes to camp is mm-hmm. number two, and then Leatherface is number three. Okay, yeah. tough but fair. We'll take it. Tough but fair. <laughs> um, is this the first matriarchy in a horror movie series? Because I think that's what you're getting here with this new adopted family. Like mm. the grandmother is very much the one kind of running the show, and she's even said like Grandpa shows up, so I know it's an adopted family. You know, Grandpa kind of sort of shows up in this movie um, and she says she knew what to do with his bits. Um, But, you know, it was interesting, like to me and that, like the family dynamic here is a lot softer than Mm -hmm. it is in the first two movies where Jim Sidehouse Cook is just calling everybody a nitwit and a halfwit and an idiot and kicking them in the pants, you know, whenever he gets a chance. And here, um, even the interactions with like Viggo Mortensen's text and uh, the Tinkerer, um, they're just like a warmness to them. Like there's a real kind of, like, I don't want to say it's like the Brady Bunch, but there's like a really nice family dynamic going on here. Yeah, they seem to actually genuinely like each other. It's mm-hmm. kind of endearing, maybe. Mm-hmm. In a disturbing sort of way. Yeah. Did we catch that the little girl's doll is named Sally? I did catch that. Yep. Just something is so wrong with that. Just yeah. Um, and she was also in Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. So she oh, was the was she flashback. Teacher. She was flashback uh, Tina. Oh, okay. So it's a real, you know, the two universes crossing over long before the comic book crossover. Mm-hmm. Um what do we make of them as a family as a whole? Like this one compared to the others. And so this is the first time we see like female members of the family, right? Yep, I don't think is. we had that in the other two. So that's an interest, a different, uh, that's a dynamic we haven't seen mm-hmm. before. So I think that that's actually very interesting. Um, I, I like the fact that they seem to have this, we're all in this together kind of thing to it, which mm-hmm. I guess the other ones did too, but they, I don't know. There's like some, I don't, 
yeah, it's like I like this matriarch version of it better than because like Tink could have been the patriarch. They could have written it that way, but they mm-hmm. didn't. And I like that. I also find it funny that somehow they've like snuck grandpa's body like because he's very much dead in this. I think everyone yes. kind of acknowledges that he is dead this mm-hmm. time. We don't have any of that weird vampire stuff going. They just they give him his tribute and, you know, carry on. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's the the um, extended version of the um, and my cat is like staring daggers at the rabbit as the rabbit eats the lettuce right now. It is oh. like she's like, he's like, what the fuck, man? Save me some. Um, sorry, we'll edit that part out. <laughs> yeah, there's the extended version of the sledgehammer scene where when the little girl feeds grandpa. Like it goes on for another five or six seconds and you just see it like slopping out of his mouth and running all the way down. It's like Cumberband and it's just uh, it's really fucked up. Like I really love it because it's very obvious that he's dead. Then you see his face blown off later on. Mm hmm. No blood there, but blood when he's hit in the stomach because <laughs> yeah. so he's almost like mummified at this point. Yeah. And I like this idea because it's like Leatherface's adopted family. And mm-hmm. we don't know if it's like second cousins twice removed or something, or if it's just like this idea of like weirdos finding one another. And I, I like that, actually. I think that that's I like that a little bit better because I, I, I like that there would be this like network of awful people that would like (laughs) that would find each other and do terrible things together which Mm -hmm. is exactly what the internet was built for so the fact that they did this before the internet is uh, that's 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 an accomplishment a terrible thing but still an accomplishment (laughs) yeah like it's so much more disturbing to than having you know this abusive family where they also happen to be cannibals rather than oh we bonded over our love of cannibalism like we're cannibal Mm -hmm. lobbyists who decided to form a big club where we eat people and talk about the how the delicacies of genitalia and things Mm -hmm. like that like it's so much scarier and creepier and more disgusting that way even Mm -hmm. even you're right kind of heartwarming if you squint Mm -hmm. at it yeah yeah and it's not like they couldn't eat other things there's like that. This is definitely what they like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They even say like, "All we need now is like a mess of greens, and we got ourselves a perfect meal." So it's like they're definitely like they're not just like eating people because they're evil, you know. Like no, they they are going for a real like. I, I don't mean this to be funny, but a real culinary experience. <laughs> they're like experimenting with ways to like make the these meats and they talk about i think like the sweet breads and liver and onions and you know it's just like us going to the grocery mart to pick up whatever it might be at that point Mm -hmm. um and i think that's a big part of these movies like the it's like a whole plot point of the second movie so i think yeah secret food movies Hmm. oddly enough removed from the fourth movie like they're Mm -hmm. not cannibals in part four and I don't think they're cannibals in the first remake movie. I don't. Oh. That's reintroduced, I believe, in the beginning. But rewatching the remake recently, I don't think necessarily that they're cannibals in that movie. Um, so that thought, no, I thought, found that pretty interesting. I don't. I haven't seen that since it was in theater. So I'd have to. Yeah. But I think you. I think you might be right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I did like the, the brotherly reactions. I found it was a bit more matriarchal. I found like there's not this division of labor and long gender lines. Like you see Tex is wearing an apron and has painted nails. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's definitely something visually appealing about like a, you know, masculine person like Viggo Mortensen um, embracing that feminine side, especially when you think about it takes place in Texas. Like it's a lot more transgressive in that way to do something like that. And I would say in 1990, probably mess with a lot more of audiences brains than just a guy running around cutting people up with a chainsaw like that. We can understand and wrap our heads around, but you know, a a handsome dude in a apron with, um, painted nails like that I think would make people even more uncomfortable back then. And I think that's actually probably a good, uh, like uh, it's probably helpful when he's baiting people. So mm-hmm. like if he's like that and he comes like you, it may have been that the guy who picked him up early on was like, you know, kind of chill about it and didn't care. Mm-hmm. But maybe like when people give him crap about it, he's just yep. like, ah, let me, let me yeah. give you some directions to Houston real quick. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, yeah. Hmm. Take this road, you know, way before GPS. So, um, I will say like, kind of want to wrap up, like from this point on, like you really feel the hands of the MPAA all oh, over this so movie. Much. Um, the sledgehammer, it's, it's cut to the point where it's incoherent at times, mm-hmm. Like you have a re- kind of a hard time following like the sledgehammer scene, which I mean, I know you've mentioned Ed Gein a couple times, Andrew and Jessica. Um, that was a, a very, direct homage or a very direct nod to and i i apologize i don't have the victim's name in front of me which is kind of the big problem with true crime is like the victims become entertainment and i'm guilty of that right now but it was very much like um william butler is very much done up like the body of the woman that they found in ed gein's barn like trussed up like that she was trussed up like you would find like a deer um so that is cut out the kill of the woman who's escaped like you get one second of it there's almost no blood in it whatsoever and when you watch the extended version it's like a good 10 seconds of like stuff flying around like it's pretty grotesque so i don't even think you see the nails and the hands in this in the um theatrical cut like i don't i and i remember that distinctly being the thing i remembered the most from this movie watching it as a kid it's like watching the nails pounded in so i don't know you get a weird ending is this the first of the three movies that has a happy ending happy well happier i mean stretch still lives stretch looks pretty awesome um but her mind is probably pretty yeah she's not in a good place either (laughs) um yeah i don't know but there's so there's there's a few different endings that they had yeah. for this. Um, I do find it funny that the only like that ending, like Viggo Mortensen came back after being lit on fire and then gets yes. killed in a trap, but and that's mm-hmm. not in either version of the movie, which I'm kind of surprised that they cut that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it was. I mean, it was really dark, so I don't know. It was probably an MPAA thing, but it's one of those things. It's hard to know it's even him. Yeah, and it's really hard to even see it. Yeah, yeah, and. But yeah, the I kind of like the so the ending that we get is, you know, her walking out on to a tire and, you know, and then, you know, Ken Foray turns out has been alive and like they mm-hmm. have one more little quick altercation with the gas guy and then 
or with Alfredo, mm-hmm. and then you know they go off into the sunset. Yeah, um, feasibly on to Chainsaw Massacre for the return of nobody in, <laughs> yep. in the in the in, in the case of this. But but then there was yeah. like another ending where the little girl was in the back of a police car, um, like waving at her um like instead and i i kind of like that ending but mm-hmm. i don't know i like the idea of ken foray coming back for another one of these but yeah that didn't happen that that original ending is considerably darker like ken foray's yeah. character dies in it uh pretty definitively um and then like you said like the sheriff's car pulls up and it ends like with um kate hodge like laughing like a maniac and then the bumper sticker that says like don't mess with that's with texas yeah. you know pretty good i don't know why people why does texas always think they're getting messed with you know like we're just asking simple things and they're like don't mess with me bro um yeah you know it's you know you get the call back to the start of the movie where kate hodge's character can now like smash the hell out of something with a boulder which Mm -hmm. she couldn't do early on so you knew that was going to come in um New Line thought Foray might come back for a sequel, which unfortunately never happened. And that's it. Like, do we have anything else about this movie that we want to discuss? I, I just, I appreciate how angry and feral Hodge gets. Like, she doesn't quite mm-hmm. go into the madness that Marilyn Burns inhabited, but she mm-hmm. is just growling and snarling the whole time that they're attacking her. And I, I really appreciate her performance and people don't really talk about her performance much, but I really like just how angry she is like a, a trapped animal. And it, I just, I, I really like it. Yeah. She definitely goes to that, that final girl place mm-hmm. that, that, that she goes to that final girl place. Not like every mm-hmm. final girl does this, but she goes to that place. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, yeah. And I think that makes her very different from, you know, other ones, especially later in this series as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I do. So, like, there were some things. I don't know. Some like I'll just be quick about these. Um, so no, we're there's quick. It's all right. Okay. It's um, time, like, man. There's no time limit. So the armadillo and I guess the deer have like these chrome things on them. These chrome ornament things from Tinker. Ooh. Um. So apparently there was like a whole like subplot where he had like a big melting pot where he was like making these chrome things, hmm. and like maybe some people in the family would have like these chrome appendages, but they cut that because of money things. Um, like at the it, during the like Freddy Krueger leather glove mm-hmm. face sequence, there's like you can see this like chrome hand on like regular bones at one point. And I think that's a leftover from that. Doesn't um, he have like an artificial hand? He might, yeah. Um, so so. He went to reach that into the oven, and then Leatherface. Yeah, yeah, he does. Hand. Yeah, he does have that mm-hmm. fake hand, and so mm-hmm. like, so like that's something that was apparently in the script, but didn't get used. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing that, and that was like a thing I was wondering about, like, why is this armadillo marked? <laughs> um, why does this have this? Like, or why does the deer have this? What's the deal with that? Um, it's like, and I guess apparently they, it was like a like the the screenwriter was like, well, they can mark these things and be like, this is one of ours, and like mm-hmm. it's sort of their way to see how their radius goes and things like that. Hmm. And I guess, um, which I kind of wish that got more explored, but it's not like I need to know this. I just am curious where they would have gotten no. it. Um, and then the only extra little bit of trivia, and this is just because of I'm a big fan of X, um, is because uh, the band um, is mm-hmm. uh, Vigo, like Will Butler and Vigo lived together, like when 
Vigo was married to Exine Cervenka of X, the best the best band to come out of Los Angeles. Bit of a hot take, but that's that's how I feel. And uh, like, and I think that that's I don't know. I find that really cool. <laughs> um, like that's that the two of them were like living together, and mm-hmm. that's why he's like they're in this movie together. I think that's neat. Yeah, and I think when Mortison first auditioned, he did poorly, and they cast mm-hmm. somebody else, and then ended up having him come back and do it. So. I have not listened to a lot of X. No, I'm a big fan. I am yeah. too. Yeah. I love X. I didn't okay. know that Vigo was married to Xene though. So that blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were married for quite, uh, for like, I think they have children. I'm, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's a fascinating dude. Like mm-hmm. he's definitely not your typical Hollywood leading man type of guy. Like he's a fascinating guy to kind of read about. So, yep. Excellent. Well, that is our take on Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, Leatherface. We hope you've enjoyed it. Like, this to me is a fun movie. It's kind of fun to talk about, but, you know, it's not like a, again, like a ground-make-breaking movie in any sort of way, but I wouldn't ignore it. I think it's, you know, kind of like in the top third of the series as a whole. Yes. So, Andrew, where can our listeners find you? Talk about the Dead Letters Movie Podcast. What's that all about? So, uh, the Dead Letter Movie Podcast is just me and my my buddy Tim. We just talk about movies. Um, we tr- like uh, when COVID wasn't as terrible, we would go see mm-hmm. new movies, and we're it's finally getting to a place where we're going to be able to like do that again. But um, so we. Uh, for the last couple of years, we've been doing these like series during the summer where we like do a deep dive into something. So mm-hmm. last year we did bands on the reel, which were like movies that were, you know, showcase films for like, you know, like the Beatles. We did Hard Day's Night, we did Purple Rain, we did Head and um, mm-hmm. UHF. And uh, this year we're doing one on movies from 1982 because uh, summer of 1982, because that was a very big summer when mm-hmm. it comes to summer blockbusters. And we're comparing it to something that's at least 10 years old. So we'll compare it to a movie either from 1992, mm-hmm. 2002, or 2012. Uh, we just put up a, a we just put up a an episode about Blade Runner and Minority Report, mm. and which had more in common other than like the Philip K. Dick thing, but um, they had more in common than expected. Um, we had friends of ours from the Hair of the Werewolf podcast come on for that, and. Um, that was that was a really good one. So you can check that out. And we will have one more of the at least one more of those coming on, you know, involving a very important um, children's film by a guy named Steve um, <laughs> coming down the line. Um, but yeah, so we, we just talk movies, just all kinds of movies, whatever, whatever comes to mind. Where can everyone find you? Oh, yeah, that's at uh, deadlettermovies.com. And uh, you can follow us on Instagram. And I'm going to make sure I say this right, because it's the thing I always mess up. So it's uh and we are at, yeah, just Dead Letter Movies. Yeah, so at Dead Letter Movies on both uh, Instagram and Dead Letter Movie on Twitter. So Excellent. Yep. All right. Well, we definitely want to have you back on. I think we mm-hmm. talked about which sequel is it you want to? Uh, 3D, I think. 3D. Yeah. So you have a thing yeah. about threes, basically. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Got yeah. it. All right, cuz. Yeah. We'll do our thing and have you back on for that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard what you did there. <laughs> I know. Very clever I am. Very clever. Listeners can't see, but I have my old cat sitting on my shoulder and he's just headbutting my headphones right now. And I need to turn the central air back on and it's getting very hot, but okay. Um, Jessica, where can everybody find you? Um, You can find me on Twitter at we who walk here. Um, I'm always posting things on my blog, we who walk here.com writing for film cred slash film. Um, 
reviews and essays, lots of places. So find me on Twitter at we who walk mm-hmm. here. I'm always sharing my stuff. Excellent. Slash film is great. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of terrific writers do, over yeah. on that site. Um, not that film cred isn't, but like <laughs> slash film in particular has like really picked up in the past few months. Yeah. Um, you can find my other show, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, everywhere you get your podcast. You can find me over on Twitter at Mike underscore Snoonian. Follow along with what's going on with us at podandthependulum.com. That's where all our back episodes are. Um, follow us on Twitter at podandpendulum. Admittedly, I just don't do as much with social media as I probably should. Um, some listeners have asked like what's going on with that and I'll be very honest. Like I just, yeah, just not a big social media guy right now. Um, but you can follow us there. I'm sure things will pick up in the near future. Um, and yeah, go to, you know, please, if you enjoy what you're hearing here and it seems like with this series, like we've pulled in like a not lot of new listeners and I see some of y'all going through the archives and checking out, past shows and i'm really appreciative of that so we hope you like what you're hearing so far and what we're doing if you do if you could do us a favor go ahead and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast go over to apple Podcasts or even on our site because it'll post to apple for us where uh, a five-star review and a few kind words help new listeners find us go ahead and rate review and subscribe to us and we will be back with one of the more bizarre entries in this franchise in a couple weeks. And we tackle really the end of the original series mm-hmm. with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation. And oh boy, <laughs> Jessica, you're coming on for that oh, one. Yes, that is my okay. favorite sequel by far. I'm excited. Okay. We may try to get squeeze that one in next weekend. So I will let you know by tomorrow and make sure that you're on for that. Cause Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> that is, that is a lot to take in. All right, listeners have a good week.